I'm Dr. Allison Fight, aka Freudina, and welcome back to Ask Freudina. In this first season, we're dissecting common situations that people enact and how to avoid them. In this episode, we're looking at the ruler and subject enactment. As always, for a more detailed theoretical explanation of this episode's theme, feel free to listen to episode 5 of Freudina's Shrink Think, which should be right next to this episode in your podcast player. Hi, Freudina. I'm a 39-year-old woman from Australia, and my husband is one unhappy man. We've been together for about 15 years, and when I look back, I think he's probably always been a little bit depressed, but um, increasingly more so. And I can see how angry and frustrated he's getting, especially now that we're in lockdown. (laughs) It feels like things are getting worse. We have two young kids and I can see in them that they're starting to display behavior to avoid daddy when he's angry. Um, I can see them modifying their play and just their instinctive behaviors so that they're not upsetting him, which actually makes me feel really sad. I can see that his job's really stressful and I can hear him um, as he's working from home in meetings and they're really intense. So I can understand why, but there generally isn't a good feeling. I'd love for him to do something, whether it's to leave his job or get some therapy, see the family doctor, anything. But he refuses to get help and he thinks that things will get better when, and then he'll insert an excuse for when things will get better. The thing is, things aren't getting better. So I guess my question is, can I make him get help? How do you help someone who won't help themselves? Thank you. Welcome, Australia. So glad to hear from you from across the pond and to hear that your struggles of being human are precisely our struggles in being human. Um, I was really interested in your call because in today's podcast, we're talking about the Um, parent-child or ruler-subject enactment where one person is the rule giver and the other one is either the rule breaker or the rule keeper. And here you have a specific example where your husband is really withdrawing into what I would call a masochistic stance where he is punishing himself and also everyone else around him. Uh, He is outrageous and withdrawn in so many ways, although it's entirely possible that he's depressed or at least dysphoric and is suffering a great, great deal. So I don't want to take that away from him because it really does sound like he's suffering a lot. But the question is, in his suffering, what is he enacting with you and what are you about to do that's going to cause you guys trouble? So I'm glad you called in so we can try to alleviate some of that trouble, um, if at all possible. Um, As far as I can tell, um, your husband's withdrawal is making him feel um, almost um, sadistic in some sense. His withdrawal is quiet, but a quiet act of rebellion that he does not wish to participate uh, in family life the way he had been. Uh, you say that your kids are are impacted by this and being getting very nervous around him. So I'm getting the vibe that 
uh, that hadn't been the way it was before and that this is a new pattern that's developing and it would be good to stop it in its tracks. So I'm really glad that that's happening for you. Um, it always makes me a little bit uh, sad to hear that kids are reacting to what's going on. Um, I don't know, well, how much uh, of your own empathy for him is really there at this point. Uh, sometimes the person who's feeling very, very depressed and is withdrawing um, has the expectation that the other partner will be very sympathetic and warm and nurturant without any boundary. Um, it's almost like the person who's depressed uh, calls, calls for the rights and the property of being a child. And the other person is, by default, whether they want to or not, has to be the maternal or paternal um, parent who is taking care of a kid. For example, if a kid gets sick, very, very sick, the parent, um, sometimes the mother, sometimes it's the father, sort of has to be there with a thermometer and a cold compress, calling the doctor, uh, no matter what else is going on in the parent's life. If they have an important meeting or a thousand other things, they are just required to drop everything and take care of the person. And to some extent, that might be part of this enactment, that there there's a parent-child enactment here where your husband just wants you to drop everything and take care of him, in which case your inquiries to him were not enough. Uh, you're asking him how he is and he should take care of himself. Maybe he should see somebody. Uh, they were not um, sufficient for him to feel understood. And it's possible that no matter what you say, uh, it, they may not be sufficient for him to understand. It's also possible that you could shift your way of talking with him to a deeply empathic one. And what I mean by empathic is not sympathetic. What I mean by empathic, although it would be good to be sympathetic as well, but empathy in this case, I'm talking about the ability to really put yourself in someone else's mind frame, uh, really put yourself in their uh, place and space in the world and to feel their feelings. So again, sympathy would be to uh, feel bad for them or to feel some, some degree of um, connection to them, which is an outpouring of love. But here what I'm talking about is your ability to really feel their feelings. Now, I can't tell whether your husband is closing himself off, so it's simply not possible to do that, or whether you yourself are so irritated by his uh, demanding that you be the only parent and he's just going to be withdrawn is making you so irritated and ticked off that you don't have the necessary strength to really uh, empathize with him. Uh, but what I do sense is whatever empathy you had is quickly devolving. So now you're having a, I think, pretty typical uh, sadistic masochistic enactment where he's going to get more and more outrageous and withdrawn and is going to then pull you into a sadistic stance where you get angrier and angrier and meaner and meaner towards him and can't figure out why you're getting mean. But then he'll withdraw more and then you'll try to talk more and more and more to make him do sensible things and he'll get madder and madder. Like he'll refuse to help and blame you for a million things. Um, it strikes me as he's determined to punish himself uh, for his many failings. Um, it's going to get worse. The kids will avoid him. It will re reinforce his sense of being awful. 
he'll want to punish himself more and more and more for being unavailable to the kids. And then you're going to yell and the cycle will reinforce itself. So again, you're being pulled into a cycle where you're the parent or the rule enforcer, and he's going to keep on breaking the rules, feeling bad about himself, and therefore, you know, acting out again and, and uh, you know, causing more grief to you both. And then the question is, if you recognize this pattern and if it seems true, where do you um, stop it? And I think uh, you'll know your situation better than I. Uh, but one thing you can do is see the pattern, the way in which you're being pulled into it, and just stop. You do not have to be the person who is the parent who is uh, telling him to buck up and straighten up and be normal and go for therapy and take care of his kids. Uh, you don't have to be any of that. You can, for a long, long time, be quiet if you're taking care of things otherwise. Anyway, it sounds like he's not much help. And understand that in your quietness, uh, you're not agreeing to what he's doing, but you're having him sit with his own conflicts about what he's doing. Rather than having to fight with you, he'll then have to fight with himself in his own mind. And if you don't quite understand what I'm saying, you know, you'll check the uh, Freudina website where we talk a lot about uh, people enacting things with others in these scripts rather than having to sit with uh, their own selves. So I hope that's very uh, helpful for you um, and helpful for him. Uh, if nothing else, perhaps you could have him listen to this and then say to him, you know, perhaps as Freudian is suggesting, there are internal difficult things going on with you that you don't want to share. Um, and if so, I'm deeply, deeply uh, empathic to that. You know, is there a way in which I could make it easier for you to talk to me and avail yourself in that way? Uh, apologize for the ways in which perhaps you've been less available than you should be or the ways in which you've yelled and you shouldn't have. Uh, but again, um, he has to be part of the, the solution here. Uh, you can't fix it for him. Uh, I hope that's helpful. Um, and uh, feel free to call back with an update. And now it's time for Thoughts from the Couch with my friend, Dr. Michael Singer. Hello, Dr. Mike. Uh, this is Freudina. How are you? Hey, Freudina. I'm, I'm doing pretty well. It's great to hear your voice again. Um, so, you know, of course, I'm laughing a little bit on how, um, you know, how we get to lean in on all the nonsense that we talk about in, in real life um, here on, uh, on the air. And in a way, it's really freeing. Um, this week, uh, we seem to have a lot of interest in what you talked about in terms of the um, uh, the odd postings for sex ads, which um, things that used to be fetishes that are now apparently sanctioned by the Departments of Health. Lots of interest in that in New York City. Uh, so as far as I can tell, the Department of Health is, um, although small amounts of um, COVID-19 have been found in semen. It seems like it's super rare. Again, I am not an expert, but it seems like that's what I get from what I'm reading. Um, and that is not considered a uh, particular health risk in terms of um, 
sexually transmitted disease. The more serious risk, although I don't know that the other is risk-free, seems to be about breathing, sharing air, sharing spit with people. So all kinds of fetishes are developing around it. Uh, you had mentioned the pump and dump when people come, you know, strangers come in, they do their thing and they leave. No intimacy, no intimacy involved. Yes, and it, it's it's so it's so interesting that permission has been given for that to be fun and non-judgmentally uh, accepted. Yes. Love that. Even sanction, right? Department of Health authority that be says one must not be intimate, one must not touch, one must not kiss or share affection. One must only do the deed and leave the room. Yes, and they all and they also say this can be intimate, which is so interesting. Yes, that is so interesting. What do you make of that? The intimacy in in the non-intimate context. So intimacy, I suppose, has to be situation specific. Right. You you take the intimacy that is allowable. You take the intimacy that you take the intimacy that is available and make it as much as full bodied as possible. It's a challenge how to play with intimacy that way under these constrained circumstances. And there's a certain kind of trust, right, which is in itself intimate, a certain kind of trust that people are going to play by the rules and not infect one another. Right. Yes. Play by the yes. Play by the rules in every way that also people will people will accept these new permissions in a way that they might not have before. Yeah, I mean that's very interesting. I mean when I, when I'm uh, contrasting, you know, sort of the very overly moralistic uh, person in my head saying pump and dump. Wow, that just sounds terrible, you know. And a part of me is saying actually that's what's being encouraged to a large extent by the Department of Health. Right. You know, hopefully you have some degree of safety that you know the person in some sense, but I'm not even sure that's practical. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's an odd thing. You're kind of being asked to do something that we've been told is forbidden. Um, and is there something about that that's overtly erotic, do you think? Mm. Is it is it overly erotic to break the rules or to do mm. something that people would have considered to be unacceptable or perverted? Yes, that's right. That's is right. So yes. So we're not even only being given permission, we're being directed to break the rules, right? Directed to break what used to be social norms like forever and ever. Yes, yes. Yeah. And that's it very reminds, exciting. It reminds me actually of, of uh, this uh, this finding in the literature we have uh, about heterosexual women for so many years, uh, which is that many, many uh, heterosexual women have ravishment um, fetishes. And I'm not even sure you're, you're familiar with it. I'm not, what does that mean? Yeah, so many women have the, um, you know, I'm going to tell you a, bit, a little bit about what I think about it culturally, and, and you can certainly disagree, um, which you do anyway. I don't know why I didn't even give you permission there. But in any event, um, you know, so many, so much of our society has been about women being very restrictive about their own sexuality and their own availability to others, uh, given the fact that, um, uh, for some, it's a, it's a moral way to live, and it's about their own sense of privacy and sanctity of, of sexuality. And I think that there is real value that for many, many people, uh, sex is a holy thing or a special thing or a spiritual thing. And they want sexuality to be grounded in monogamy or if not in intimacy. Um, and I just wanted to say for my own self that, you know, part of being a person who uh, tries to be accepting is being accepting of people who have very different ideas than I do on all sides. So there are people for whom sex and sexuality is going to be off the table right now in 
with COVID. Um, on the other hand, we have people who are really interested in freeing themselves from uh, what they see as the constraints of patriarchy, where women who wanted to have a sexual needs uh, granted was seen as, as a lousy human being. Um, so part of, I think, the danger of being a woman was this fear of being raped or in some way sexually overtaken, which has been so common in society. And as you and I know, many fetishes are the things that we fear most in the world, that we take them, we eroticize them, and they become the thing we want, right? So for women who've had a fear of, of rape, I think, in this culture, so many women, it's, it's a very high percentage, I think the last studies I saw were more than half of the population have a, a very persistent sexual desire to be overtaken in bed. Um, and this is very disturbing, I think, for some feminists who feel like, why do women want to be overtaken in bed? Um, but for people who are involved in, in, in long-term or short-term relationships, where they feel a certain degree of trust, um, this um, enactment of what's now being called a ravishment fetish for a while now, rather than a rape fetish, but a ravishment um, uh, um, fetish is, is very exciting. And you can see in Harlequin novels and other kinds of love stories, uh, it's more often than not that the woman, at least initially, is not interested, but a kind, loving, warm guy uh, brings her around. But she has to sort of submit to his sexuality and not own her own. And, and I think that's cultural. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that also it's a, it, it's a, it's a fantasy for men, too certainly for, for, for gay men to, uh, to, 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 to have specific roles during some of their sexual encounters where they are overwhelmed in a certain way, um, of course, with, with, with consent, but overwhelmed and, and uh, maybe ordered, ordered around or various role plays like that. I, I, think, I think it's important to be able to do that. It widens, it widens the scope of the engagement during sex. Particularly, uh, particularly with long-term sexual relationships, it allows it allows for sharing of exchange of uh, the, the exchange of roles that maybe one person in the one person in the relationship would be the usually the, the initiator. One person would be more the top, uh, and now there's, the roles are traded and made very explicit, and that in and of itself can be so exciting, I think, and so game-changing. I mean, in terms of um, the way I think heterosexual ravishment fantasies are played out are, are, are very similar to the pump and dump thing that you were talking about uh, earlier, which is that so many people, um, and it's really widely popular, have this idea that they will stage their uh, role play scenes with their um, partners uh, such that um, they'll have mutually agreed upon safety words and such, but they want the sense of being overwhelmed. Um, and I was wondering, um, you know, on, on, on online now, when you were talking about pump and dump, um, is there more of a sense of people wanting to stage more ravishment uh, experiences for themselves uh, within safety constraints regarding uh, COVID? But, but that would be interesting since we're all so fearful of being overwhelmed by something unseen. Is there an attempt at mastery through sexuality that we put limits on and, and, and sort of consent to uh, the unknown when, when we're in a deep unknown, right? Yes, I've seen it on, on various hookup websites and it's more and more common, which is either, either uh, a man wanting to be, let's say, uh, a total bottom and, and, and say, looking for a total top, I'm submissive, I will do whatever you want me to do. 
So somebody, somebody wanting to surrender in the context of a, of a sexual, uh, a, a, a sexual experience. And also I've seen the opposite. I'm saying I'm looking for someone who will just be there and do my bidding. I know how to do this and you will learn, you will learn from me. Uh, and so I think there's a great deal of both of that people yearning to be able to expand what they do during sexual encounters as a way of being more centered, more mindful, and just being able to find new ways to play. Yeah, I think I'll point out that I see that um, there'll be a new genre of fetishes that are going to emerge out of this the same way after the 2008 financial collapse, we saw the emergence of the FinDom uh, fetish, right? Where people want to be financially dominated. Are, are you familiar with that, Mike? I'm not, no. Uh, yeah, so in Findom, um play, uh, there's often somebody who wants to be fi financially bankrupted in some way or freed of their money and their possessions. Um, and that is uh, the kind of uh, submissive dominant play that has played out and has stayed with us. I think I'm told it's always existed, but in the last uh, 12 or so years, it's become very prominent. And I'm wondering now, with our need to mask and our need to keep certain spaces uh, free, um, that kind of anxiety around contamination, uh, will it fuel future sexual encounters? I think the answer is yes. Um, that, you know, that, that these constraints are going to fuel uh, just the way fears of rape have, have fueled ravishment. Uh, fetishes. I'm thinking that these uh, these fears, right? That fears are often what which would drive our our, our anxieties. We channel our, our anxieties uh, into uh, a sexual play. Uh, and I know you and I have talked about play a great deal. Yeah. Well, I, I think the 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 internet particularly allows people to find each other with very specific kinds of uh, kinds of fet what would we, we would call fetishistic activity. It makes yeah. me think of say there's a whole sort of genre that's arisen um, on both uh, both straight and gay websites of uh, SPH small penis humiliation. Where there are women and men who specialize in doing a certain kind of sexually insulting role play that is very sexually exciting. Hi, Fordina. Um, I. I'm looking for help. Um, I guess like a lot of people right now, um, I've been struggling a lot with quarantine, uh, you know, feeling really boxed in and uh, hard to um, be around with the same people all the time. Um, uh, I love my family, but I do see them, I guess, a little too often. And I just, it's hard to, uh, manage um you know sort of like keeping familial relations uh afloat um with so much tension um just because we see each other so much um and so there's that whole uh aspect that I'm dealing with and then um beyond that I also just am feeling um quite um anxious um, I've been, uh, sort of feeling like I should use this time, um, to be, uh, creative and to, 
um, you know, make do projects and things that um, I would normally tell myself um, I should be working on um, when I don't have the time. And um, now that I have the time, I feel sort of too anxious to actually uh, do anything. Um, and I don't know, something about being cooped up is just making it hard for me to actually produce anything. Um, yeah, I could definitely use your help. Um, just curious to hear your thoughts. So um, would love to hear your response. Thanks so much. Hi, caller. Uh, so great to hear from you. Um, yeah, this period of time has been challenging for everyone. And I know that many people listening to your call are um, absolutely empathically uh, raising their metaphorical cheerleading pom-poms and saying, yes, that is me. Can you please help me? So thanks for calling in uh, because I really think that you are symbolically calling in for many people across the nation and across the world. Uh, so many people um, have had variants of this call where they're talking about being cooped in with people that they love, but there being tension in the home um, and that familial relations are strained in odd ways. Um, even though in some cases they're wonderful, uh, other things are always going to be exaggerated when, as you said, people are boxed in, things are reverberating off the walls. Uh, so one of the kind of funny things that people tend to ask me a lot is, how can I tell whether these things are my stuff or are really coming from other people? And I think your call actually holds a lot of that. Uh, in the beginning of your call, I really thought you were going to ask about how to get along with the people in your uh, space, but that's not actually what you spoke about. Uh, you alluded to the problems of people in your space, but you really talked about your own sense of um, being uh, cooped up. And I think your words were something about being cooped up uh, stops you from being creative. Um, and you use the word anxiety around it. And I really think that's true. Um, something about being cooped up, being stuck with oneself in an excessively small uh, physical and emotional place does not allow the mind to, to roam, does not allow creativity to flourish uh, for so many people until they find a way for it to happen. Um, in your case, uh, you're having trouble in that regard, I think very reasonably. It's not really an ideal setting for lots of different kinds of creative pursuits, although, again, some people are doing fine. Many, many people are not. And then there's this really strange enactment that, in your case, is happening internally. And I don't know whether it's happening with the members of your family and you, although I'm guessing it is, uh, because you mention them and then you sort of don't. But in some sense, you can see how an enactment, your two scripts are happening inside of you. Uh, one half of you is being like the authority, saying uh, you have plenty of time and very few responsibilities. Create, do something productive, do it now. There's no excuse. And the other part of you is unable to perform and is in some way rebelling. Um, perhaps it's saying, look, I'm exhausted. It's hard enough to be here away from my usual life. Give me a break. And then the hard authority... Uh, and then the hard authoritarian part of yourself, the ruler or the parent is saying, that's no excuse. You have all this time, so take a couple hours off and then be productive. And then the part of you saying, look, I really want to. I feel terrible about it, but this is just not, I can't think. I can't do anything here. 
So the parent or ruler part of you is saying, um, listen, you have time, you have some space here, so take some space and then be creative and do useful things with your time. And then the other part of you is saying, look, it's just not that simple. It's not like I can just take some time and then be effective. It just doesn't work that way. You know, give me a break. And then the other half of you is simply not giving a break, is continuing to be demanding. So you feel worser and worser as as time uh, goes by. Uh, so it's important to look at this enactment, which is happening within you, because I suspect it must be happening with you and others in authority, whether it's a boss or whether it's with a colleague or uh, a parent or, or a spouse. These kinds of patterns, if they're happening internally, uh, seem to happen uh, with others as well. So I'd say if you find yourself with a spouse or or significant other or a parent enacting this, realize that the thing you're acting out with a person are probably two aspects of yourself. And um, you've simply found a person with similar internal scripts that is acting out one half of the script. So in a way that's comforting because you know that they're not, your values aren't very different than your own. What's the way out of this? The way out of this, of course, is to work yourself out of the binary, being overly demanding that because objectively there's lots of time and objectively uh, there's all this space to do stuff uh, doesn't mean that you're taking in the all the other realities where, yes, it's true that you have a, a lot of space and time, but it's also true that you're completely away from the normal pattern of life. Um, and the normal uh, experiences of life, whether they're school or work or friends, that life as we knew it has stopped. And then the amount of uh, adjustments necessary to this new social, emotional, physical space, uh, which is highly medicalized uh, and highly suspect to government uh, regulation and all kinds of other things, um, just is a huge shift for all of us. And it would be odd to think that uh, all of us could just radically, you know, do that shift, create that pivot so quickly. It's just simply not an extended vacation. Uh, So the part of you that's talking to the parent or the ruler really has to just say very calmly, this is not an extended vacation. This is a huge life adjustment. Um, And in that way, you'd see that uh, you could give yourself some space and time. And I think if you lower the bar a lot, and expect much less of yourself, and have a lot of empathy for yourself, uh, you'll find that as you are less and less angry with yourself, you will find much less need to either enter that space that we've alluded to in other episodes of um, comply or defy, which is the way that people deal with the parts of themselves or others who are issuing edicts that you feel the urge to just buckle down and do everything that you're being told, uh, which is the comply or defy to do absolutely nothing and goof off. If you're able to give yourself some nuance there, uh, you'll find yourself out of the binary and able to do a little of both or none or some at different periods of time. Uh, So thanks again, caller, for uh, sharing this with us. I think that there are many, many, many people who are similarly finding themselves that they're berating themselves for not being as productive during this period of time. Uh, And it's really important for us just to understand that the normative response is not necessarily to be productive, Uh, maybe to pivot and to be different and to find different things to do. 
but all in good time and all when we give ourselves the space and the emotional uh, comfort of knowing that uh, we have patience for ourselves and having patience for ourselves is really the number one uh, thing to think about when we're healing. Hi, Freudina. Uh, I am a 40-something-year-old uh, woman living in New York City, um, isolating at home because of the whole COVID situation, and uh, it really brought out a lot of my anxiety. Um, I hadn't been on medication or really antidepressants for a couple of years, so I decided to go back on it because uh, this is really um, you know, hard for me to manage. And um, I guess I'm wondering about the long-term side effects of uh, pharmaceuticals. I have a lot of, you know, I don't know if it's moral issues, but like, you know, philosophical issues about taking them. I know I need them, but I really worry about the long-term effects. And, you know, there's also that stigma of shame that I constantly struggle with. Um, and I'm not quite sure. So I manage it. I would just love, you know, the input of a professional like yourself who might be able to give me some input going forward. Thank you. Hmm. Caller, I have to say that this one really took me for a loop. Um, really odd to me. Um, at first I thought you were calling about a medical question. Um, I'm of course not a medical professional. Uh, I was trained as a psychologist and uh, then as a psychoanalyst. Uh, so I have some familiarity with medication, but it's certainly not anything I could give good advice on. Uh, other than the usual. Um, but I think that I heard in your voice um, some sense of imagined fantasy that you were being weak um, and endangering your health by relying on uh, medication during this period of time, uh, which doesn't seem to be correct at all. It seems to me that by using medication in this time uh, safely and under the guidance of medical professionals, uh, you're in fact uh, saving your, your health. Um, there seems to be a lot of uh, moral, as I think you term them, and philosophical things uh, involved in your taking of medication, which also uh, seem to be related to what you call a sense of shame in taking them. You know, and that I don't really understand. I've heard about it, but I don't really get it, uh, why you'd feel any more shame in taking a medication for uh, depression or anxiety during this period of time. Uh, seems odd. Uh, but there is an underlying sense that you are going to be punished in some way uh, for being weak and needing to take the medication. Um, and I think you're feeling this anxiety about being punished at a time when you're actually feeling an anxious about your own health, which is particularly uh, disturbing. Uh, when people are feeling anxious about their health and well-being, the idea of being punished always uh, flies into fantasies of being struck ill or, or killed or something else terrible. So, caller, I just want to reassure you in a practical way that as much we, as we like to think about unconscious fantasies, because understanding your unconscious fantasies and your enactments is what gets you out of them in the long term, uh, in the short term, uh, use your very conscious self to remind yourself that NEDs all have pluses and minuses, um, but these clearly have pluses that outweigh your minuses in the eyes of your medical professional 
and that you have an internalized shame for which you feel you'll be punished because of some sort of perceived moral weakness around needing medication. Uh, but think back to where that came in, because you do seem to have a very punitive uh, parent or punitive ruler in your head who's telling you you're doing the wrong thing, a bad thing, a shameful thing. And I'm asking you to look at this script, this internalized script, where you feel like you're deserving punishment and find the derivative. Once you find in your own mind the person or the people who made you feel this way, you'll be able to sort of think through who they were and what they meant. And you'll, in essence, be able to take the sting or the claws out of out of this. I'm not saying it'll disappear overnight, but hopefully in seeing the ways in which these shameful, terrible feelings of weakness were inculcated when you were in fact incorrect. Um, I'll also point out to you uh, for further incentive that it's very hard to be a good friend, and I'm guessing that you want to be a good friend, you sound like a very good person, uh, to other people when they're having difficulties. If you yourself have such high moral standards for people that you consider them weak or awful, uh, many people who are like you tell me, no, no, I have one standard for me and one standard for others. I'm perfectly fine with other people taking meds. But of course, that means you're just sort of second-class citizen your friends. They just think, well, they're they're just made of weaker stuff than I am. They, they, it's okay for them. And that, of course, is no way to have a, a meaningful friendship. So, caller, um, yeah, if your doctors and other medical personnel think you should be on these meds, you stay on them if you're feeling good and right. If you're not feeling well on them, then, of course, you know, figure out what isn't working for you. But good for you for, despite the fact that you're having internalized shame, which again must be from childhood, I'm guessing, um, staying on them anyway and working it through and becoming a stronger and better person. Uh, as you know, medication is no substitute for knowing yourself and getting psychologically on top of things. Both sound like they're necessary for you. But while you're on the meds and are feeling a little stronger and a little more more yourself, I urge you to get into a good therapy or to use the uh, uh, various ways that are so available for us now to understand ourselves and our patterns um, and to make for ourselves a better life. Uh, so hopefully your internalized uh, pattern will be one that you can uh, no longer enact with yourself or anyone else. And thank you so much for calling in. Uh, we really appreciate your call. As you can see by today's callers, this authority enactment is common throughout many different kinds of situations. It can occur in marital situations, it could occur within an individual, it can occur between parent and child, between employer and employee. Basically, it's one person becoming harsher and harsher and more and more rigid about the rule that needs to be followed and the other person being tortured and by the only options being to give in and follow the rule, which doesn't feel too good because there's really no buy-in, or to revolt, which is also not good because it doesn't lead to anything productive. Um, the problem with people who are feeling in the power of the enactment is they only feel the binary 
they really only feel this inflexible rule giver who will give them no space and no space to no negotiate or navigate or even talk to the person. It's almost like a robot's giving you instructions. And if you don't listen to the instructions, uh, then you will be tortured or killed. Uh, sort of like a faceless person who you can't even talk to or chat with. In fact, of course, that's not true. Uh, most people uh, who are rule givers who try to enact protocols uh, do the best they can to think of rules and want the best outcomes, irrespective of what it says on the paper. It's not that there aren't any petty bureaucrats in the world, but most people are not like that. Unfortunately, it's the petty bureaucrats of the world who themselves have internalized scripts, uh, who are within themselves offering, who are within themselves often torturing themselves uh, by their need to do things exactly the way they're supposed to be done without any deviation. Um, and that causes them to, in fact, uh, be caught into the comply or defy shift as well. Uh, it's a very painful place to be at in the world, feeling like you have no wiggle room, because if you do the wrong thing, you'll be punished. Um, or if you do the wrong thing, you'll feel shame. Uh, but doing the right thing over and over really robs you of your autonomy. It's a very bad place to be at. Fortunately, I think this is one of the very easiest place to, places to make changes. Uh, you can easily recognize this paradigm of hearing a rule and feeling the urge to rebel against it. Uh, most people feel it several times a week. Some people feel it all day. And if you're a person who feels like acting out or is just itching for a fight when you're told what to do, you kind of know that that's you. In thinking through your own patterns, your own interactions, and what causes you to feel stuck with only choices of obeying and complying or actually being in complete revolt. If you look around at other people, you'll see that many people in the world survive perfectly well uh, with very different choices in how to react to uh, overall rules. Sometimes it's because rules themselves aren't absolute and your experience of them is absolute, so you don't really see until you look more carefully that there are uh, subtle differences between what you think of it has to be and is merely a suggestion or sometimes the case but not always the case or is, is not as blanket a rule as you thought. Other times uh, the rules are quite firm, but the ways in which you can do them uh, or satisfy the constraints are quite broad, um, but you don't see all of that in your state of confusion, anxiety, and anger. Uh, so again, uh, one bit of comfort, if this isn't making much sense to you, is to look around at your friends and people in the world you know who never seem to get particularly excited and realize that if they're doing it, you can do it as well. Uh, and it just requires a pivot uh, sort of a changing of the way you think and feel about things, uh, real flipping of your script, so to speak, um, to find the roles that you haven't been seen, um, to find the roles that you haven't seen before, perhaps the pages of your script that were stuck together. I uh, hope today was helpful for all of you and uh, looking forward to meeting you next week as we continue to make our way through enactments and understanding the various ways in which we can change our internal scripts. Thanks for joining me this week. If you want some suggestions of things that might be impeding your life, 
and ways to think differently about them, check out for Adina's Brain Hacks. These five quick and easy brain hacks will give you some insight into why you do the things you do so you can start approaching your life with more control and a touch less crazy. Grab them at www.freudina.com backslash hacks. If you are enjoying the conversations we are having here on Ask Freudina, let me know. Head over to iTunes and leave me a rating and review. The more love we get, the more people we reach. Thanks for your support, and I'll see you in the next episode.